In the year leading up to the 2020 election, we're counting down the biggest scandals in American political history. This is number 31, the case of Chandra Levy, Washington, D.C.'s most famous unsolved murder. On May 6, 2001, Robert Levy was panicking. His daughter had been missing for days and he had no idea where she might have gone. Looking through her cell phone bills, he saw one unfamiliar number that was printed repeatedly. Maybe the person on the other end of the line knew something, so he gave it a call. Robert didn't know who to expect, but he didn't anticipate it would be the office of the family's representative in Congress, Gary Condit. Sure, his daughter was interning at the Federal Bureau of Prisons, but there was no good reason she'd need to call Congressman Condit that often, unless... When Robert hung up the phone, his wife's face mirrored his concern. Suddenly, a lot of things made sense. The late nights out with a mystery friend, her lack of time for the family, her uncharacteristic evasiveness. She'd been keeping a dangerous secret. And now, without a word to anyone, Chandra Levy had vanished into thin air. Welcome to Political Scandals, a ParCast original. I'm Richard. And I'm Kate. You can find all episodes of Political Scandals and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Political Scandals for free on Spotify, just open the app and type political scandals in the search bar. At ParCast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. This is a story that's mired in controversy. After almost 19 years of investigation, the murder of Chandra Levy is still an open case. But while the actual crime remains unsolved, one thing is undeniable. The scandal ended the career of California Representative Gary Condit. The connection? Chandra was a D.C. intern who came from Condit's congressional district. His phone number was found repeatedly in her phone records in the time leading up to her death. And the evidence suggests they were having an affair. While Gary Condit was never tied to Chandra's murder, the facts uncovered during the case led to speculation and conspiracy theories that have followed the former congressman ever since. Based on the evidence found by journalists and law enforcement, here's what we know about the relationship between Gary Condit and Chandra Levy. In the spring of 2000, 23-year-old Chandra Levy applied for an internship at the Federal Bureau of Prisons. She was in her last semester of grad school at USC studying public policy. This internship would be a key step on her way to her ultimate goal, becoming an FBI or a CIA agent. Chandra had a passion for law enforcement ever since childhood. After joining the Modesto Police Department's Police Explorers program as a teen, she felt she'd found her calling. She started wearing her Explorer uniform to school. 
Earlier during her graduate program, Chandra had landed an internship in Sacramento with Governor Gray Davis. It was mostly making copies and answering phones. But being in the rooms where lawmakers made big, important decisions was exciting, even if she was only there to bring coffee. More importantly, the job looked great on her resume. So when she applied to another internship at the Federal Bureau of Prisons, she was hired after a single phone interview. She'd be working in the Bureau's public relations department. This marked a new stage of adulthood for 23-year-old Chandra. She would be moving to D.C., her first time living in a different state than her parents. She acclimated to Washington quickly once she arrived in October 2000. She made friends and rapidly impressed her supervisors at work. Still, Chandra was a long way from becoming a CIA agent or embarking on the terrorism-busting career she'd pictured if she chose the FBI. She was mostly sitting behind a desk and doing menial tasks, but she was good at it. Good enough to convince her bosses she was ready for more responsibility. After Chandra had been on the job for just a few months, Oklahoma City bomber Timothy McVeigh's execution date was announced, having killed 168 people and injured hundreds more. McVeigh was the most famous domestic terrorist ever. A media siege began at the Bureau of Prisons. Chandra was tasked with wrangling journalists at press conferences and the constant stream of phone calls in between them. It was sensitive, high-stakes work, and it wouldn't have been given to her if the Bureau didn't trust her completely. One warm day in October, Chandra and a friend, Jennifer Baker, paid a visit to their congressman, Gary Condit. He was a moderate Democrat considered a traitor to his party on Capitol Hill, but beloved in his home district. Jennifer was hoping to get an internship in his office. Jennifer left with a job offer, and Chandra left with a crush. Condit had paid special attention to her, even giving Chandra his private phone number. Within a few weeks, they started seeing each other. Because of his status and his marriage, their dates were just mostly trysts at his condo. Circumstances aside, Chandra quickly fell in love. She only shared her secret with one person, her favorite aunt, Linda Zamsky. As Chandra told it, Condit was going to leave his 33-year marriage and give up politics to be with her. They were planning to have children. Aunt Linda saw through that promise right away. But afraid Chandra would stop confiding in her, she agreed not to tell. Linda at least wanted to know if things started to go south. Things went on like that for a while. Chandra wrangled prison system press by day, and by night, she hid her hair under a ball cap and snuck into Condit's apartment. It was a convenient arrangement. Like most Congress people, Condit split his time between Washington, D.C. and his home district. His wife and family remained in California. During the legislative session, Condit lived alone in his one-bedroom condo in the trendy Adams Morgan neighborhood of D.C. One night in the spring of 2001, Chandra's mother Susan called to ask if her daughter was dating Gary Condit. Chandra reportedly admitted to it instantly, assuming her Aunt Linda had betrayed her. But that wasn't the case. 
Chandra hadn't realized how closely her mom had been tracking her behavior. She'd become hard to reach in the evenings and admitted to seeing an anonymous someone. Once, she told Susan that her boyfriend asked her not to carry her identification when they went out. Susan had simply put two and two together. It's no secret that some politicians like to treat Washington's thousands of young interns as their personal dating pool. JFK was accused of sleeping with a Washington intern. And of course, we all know how Bill Clinton felt about one of his interns. Susan carefully warned her daughter that she wasn't the first younger woman Condit had been involved with. Allegedly, the Levy's handyman, a Pentecostal minister, said his daughter had also dated Condit some years before. The relationship ended so badly that the minister's daughter, just over 18, was so frightened she went into hiding. Like Linda, Susan decided not to tell Chandra's father about her relationship with Condit, at least not yet. It seemed like Chandra had it under control. Pressure from her parents might only make her more determined to continue the affair. From Chandra's point of view, all was well. She still believed that Condit would soon retire from Congress and leave his wife for her. Her career looked to be in good shape, too. She had thoroughly proven herself at her internship. She was as close to a rising star as a Bureau of Prisons can have. Which is why it came as such a shock to Chandra that just weeks later, in April of 2001, the Bureau terminated her internship without notice. Turns out that Chandra's final semester at USC ended in December of 2000. That meant she was no longer eligible to receive school credit for her internship. And in fact, she was in violation of federal policy. She was fired the moment her bosses found out. On April 28th, Chandra gave notice she was breaking her DC apartment lease and began packing, planning the journey back to Modesto. Chandra also wanted to do more sightseeing before leaving the nation's capital. On May 1st, it's theorized, based on her computer history, that she took a break from searching for flights and train fares to go for a hike in Rock Creek Park. Twice as big as Central Park, this oasis for DC dwellers offers horseback riding, tours of Civil War era buildings, and plenty of wildlife. Friendly park rangers provide nature walks and educational programs for all ages. Chandra wasn't in the mood for a guided experience that day. She headed up a steep trail bordered by a treacherous ravine. It was just her and nature. Until it wasn't. Her killer met her in the park. Perhaps it was someone she knew, or maybe a stranger. Whoever it was, though, they left her body there to rot. Chandra Levy died on May 1st, 2001, less than a month after her 24th birthday. She wouldn't be reported missing for five days, and her remains wouldn't be found for more than a year. In the meantime, her disappearance would become the biggest story in America. And within the wall-to-wall -wall news coverage, her alleged affair with Congressman Condit would take center stage. That's up next. Now, back to the story. On May 1st, 2001, 
24-year-old Bureau of Prisons intern Chandra Levy was murdered in Rock Creek Park. Her parents still believed she was on her way home to Modesto, California. They planned to rendezvous, then drive down together to L.A. for her USC graduation on May 11th. At first, Robert and Susan Levy assumed Chandra had taken some unconventional route west. She'd been considering riding the California Zephyr and Amtrak train. They reasoned that Chandra must have forgotten to call, and now she was in the middle of a multi-day journey with limited cell phone service. For the first couple of days, the Levies managed to convince themselves not to worry. But the third day of May passed, then the fourth. By the fifth, Chandra's parents were feeling sick. She would never purposefully leave them hanging this long. On May 6th, Richard Levy called the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department to report Chandra missing. The same day, he scoured her cell phone bills for any recurring patterns. That's where he found the phone number to Congressman Gary Condit's office. This development prompted Susan to tell her husband everything she knew about the affair. It wasn't much, but it was enough to convince Richard that he needed to talk to Condit right away. After some searching, they got a hold of his home number. Condit's wife answered and took a message. A little while later, he called back. To hear the California congressman tell it, he was as surprised as anyone by Chandra's disappearance. Sure, he knew her, but only because she dropped by his office on Capitol Hill once in a while. They weren't close. As Chandra told it, when they were together, Condit promised her the world. But as soon as she disappeared, he pretended they barely knew each other. Even before foul play was suspected, Condit was distancing himself. Susan was instantly suspicious. If Condit had ever cared for Chandra at all, he'd do anything to help find her, including coming clean about their affair. But Condit wasn't a come clean kind of guy. He didn't like answering to anyone, not even his own party. He proudly displayed a photo of the Republican Speaker of the House on his office wall and publicly befriended President George W. Bush. These days, people called elected officials like Condit dinos, Democrats in name only. To think of himself as a renegade, that made him unpopular with House Democratic leadership. But at home in California's 18th Congressional District, Condit was unbeatable. First elected in 1989 to fill a vacancy, he was on his sixth term in 2001 when Chandra disappeared. Republicans didn't even bother to run a candidate against him in two of his re-election bids. Deep down, though, Condit knew that his seat wasn't as safe as people thought. He'd outwardly postured against Bill Clinton during the former president's impeachment hearings. If people found out Condit was an adulterer himself, he'd be classified as a hypocrite, not a renegade. The only feasible plan, then, was to deny, 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 no matter who was asking Condit about Chandra Levy. That included the police, who arrived on May 9th, 2001, eight days after Chandra's disappearance, to question him for the first time at his apartment. Condit was careful. Yes, he knew Chandra, but no, he hadn't seen her lately. He evaded the question of if they were intimate. 
The investigators already knew that wasn't true. In addition to her parents, Chandra's friends told police she'd referred to an unnamed man as her boyfriend. She'd even occasionally admitted to her friends that this new beau was in Congress, hence the secret relationship. The congressman's decision to deliberately withhold information from investigators in an effort to protect his reputation is even more upsetting, granted that at this point, nobody but the killer knew Chandra was dead. She could have still been alive, perhaps kidnapped or lying injured at the bottom of a ravine in the park. Unless Condit was at the scene of the murder himself, for all he knew, he was getting in the way of an investigation that had a chance to save the life of his lover. Of course, Condit still claims he told the truth in that first interview. Two more rounds of police questioning changed his story, though. He broke down and admitted that Chandra had repeatedly spent the night in his apartment. All the while, the search for Chandra continued. The investigation was headed up by Detective Ralph Durant of D.C.'s 2nd District. It was typically such a quiet neighborhood that the local cops were nicknamed squirrel chasers. With every day Chandra remained missing, the chances of finding her alive plummeted. Most likely, the cops were looking at a homicide case potentially involving a congressman. If the media got wind of it, this could be the most explosive story of the decade. Investigators were desperate to find her, but the so-called squirrel chasers had little homicide experience. They repeatedly failed to request the tapes from the surveillance cameras outside Chandra's apartment, which were recorded over every seven days. By the time they got the camera footage, Everything recorded on May 1st had been erased. Then, a cop without proper tech training tried to search Chandra's laptop for clues. He accidentally corrupted the hard drive. This case was too difficult and too risky to handle without some outside help. So very quickly, the Metropolitan Police called in the FBI. It was a sick little irony. The closest Chandra ever got to her dream job as an FBI agent was when she became the Bureau's top priority a week after she died. That May, reporters only knew Chandra lived in Gary Condit's district and had met him during her time in D.C. The congressman even announced a $10,000 donation to a reward fund for information on her disappearance, which came from his campaign treasury. What a good guy. So dedicated to a single constituent he barely knew that he was giving up his campaign donations to help endow a reward fund. Reporters on the D.C. beat were right to be cynical. The Washington Post team, in particular, smelled a rat immediately. Condit was working very hard to get out in front of this story. There must be a reason. On May 16th, a source inside the police department slipped journalists a tip. This one breadcrumb was all it took for reporters to start hounding Condit's office day and night for comment. On May 17th, the Post published a blanket denial from Condit's chief of staff. In part, it said the alleged affair, quote, totally did not occur. Yet nothing gets journalists excited about a juicy rumor faster than a campaign staffer trying to kill a story. They kept digging. 
Despite wanting to keep their missing daughter's sex life out of the headlines, the Levies made a tough call. After consulting other families of missing persons, they were advised to do everything they could to keep Chandra's name in the news. More eyeballs on the story would prompt more awareness and likely more resources to either find her or her killer. The Levies appeared on Good Morning America. They let news cameras follow them as they met with their senators. They avoided directly referencing Chandra's relationship with Condit, but they didn't shut down speculation either. In addition to making the public care about the case, the Levies also wanted to keep media pressure on the FBI. They were worried that the Bureau might not be enthusiastic about an investigation that might implicate a congressman as a murder suspect. Congress doesn't have hiring and firing power at the FBI, but it does oversee the Bureau's funding. Meanwhile, investigators worked overtime to recover the data on Chandra's laptop. It took the FBI a month to get into the corrupted hard drive and find her search history. Southwest flights, Amtrak fares, and a search for Rock Creek Park hiking trails. In June of 2001, this was the first lead they'd gotten on where she might have gone on May 1st. Investigators followed it up as best they could, even sending cadaver dogs into the park. But they were looking in all the wrong places. Namely, they neglected to scour the steep, remote hiking trails. The park was enormous, so logically they targeted the most used areas first, like the Pierce Klingle Mansion. Unfortunately, Chandra hadn't been anywhere near it. The dogs found nothing. Other leads were coming in too, including another young woman who claimed to have had an affair with Condit when she was 22. In addition to the minister's daughter, this marked the third woman involved with the congressman. After she broke up with him in 1996, she said Condit took it poorly. Still, investigators didn't name Condit as a suspect. But, perhaps covering their bases, they brought him in repeatedly for questioning. Tired of the circus, in June, Condit lawyered up. His attorney aggressively denied the story, accusing the Washington Post of publishing malicious lies. But that only made things worse. The angrier Condit's lawyer got, the harder the media pushed back. The Post announced that it stood behind its coverage of the Chandra Levy case. So Condit moved on to plan B. Privately woo the Levies and convince them of his innocence. Maybe they could then call off the media. On June 21st, he met with them in secret. Susan asked the congressman directly, did you kill my daughter? Of course, Condit denied it. The Levies gave him a frigid reception and left after only 15 minutes. Also in June, search parties scoured Rock Creek Park again. This time, the fire department and mounted units helped. Their empty-handed return was disheartening. The nearly 2,000-acre park was proving to be the proverbial haystack. The case was in danger of running cold, but at least the public was turning up the heat on Gary Condit. A fourth woman came forward to say she'd had an affair with the congressman and that he'd promised to leave his wife for her. If her story was true, Condit was seeing her at the same time he was seeing Chandra Levy. 
he wasn't just a two-timer, but a three-timer or more. Then, the final bombshell dropped. Until June, the Levies hadn't publicly confirmed Chandra's affair with her congressman. But on June 7th, Aunt Linda, Chandra's confidant, decided it was time. Speaking as an anonymous family insider, she told the Washington Post everything. Overnight, Chandra Levy's disappearance went from the nation's biggest missing persons case to one of the biggest stories in the world. That's up next. Now back to the story. In June of 2001, more than a month after 24-year-old Chandra Levy disappeared, her aunt confirmed to the Washington Post that Chandra had been dating married 53-year-old congressman Gary Condit. Once the affair was officially part of the public narrative, unscrupulous tabloids ran with it. Gossip rags competed with each other to run the most sensational headlines possible. Chandra Levy killed in kinky sex games, said one. I was Condit's sex slave, read another. As for Condit's constituents, who'd once loved his anti-partisan ways, they were furious with how the case was spiraling into scandal. Protesters surrounded his office and demanded his resignation. A national poll taken in July of 2001 revealed that 44% of Americans believed Condit was involved in Chandra's disappearance. Perhaps looking to win back public trust, that July, Condit voluntarily allowed the police to search his apartment. Of course, by then, he'd had two months to get rid of anything incriminating. But it was still more cooperation than the law required, since there wasn't enough evidence for a search warrant. He did not, however, cooperate with law enforcement's requests for a polygraph examination. In actuality, Condit was probably right to push back on that request. Polygraph examinations, or lie detector tests, are notoriously unreliable and typically can't be used as evidence in court. Still, the public often believes that refusing the test indicates a guilty conscience. By mid-July, another poll revealed that only 13% of Americans thought Condit should run for re-election. That didn't stop him. Members of Congress are up for re-election every two years, so Condit's next big hurdle would be the March 2002 Democratic primary. He couldn't afford to stop campaigning while dealing with the scandal, not if he wanted a chance to keep his seat. Condit had to find a way to keep the scandal from killing his career. Avoiding the media wasn't working, so he decided to try the opposite approach. In August, he sat down with ABC's Connie Chung for a no-holds-barred interview. 24 million people tuned in to see Condit repeatedly deny knowing anything about Chandra Levy's disappearance. He made some vague admissions about being an imperfect husband, but insisted he only knew Chandra for five months. He denied ever talking about marriage or children with her. He certainly didn't love her. Susan Levy saw the interview as an attack on her missing daughter's integrity. If there had ever been a possibility of an amicable relationship between Condit and the Levies, the ABC airing took that off the table. 
Still, Condit kept a minimal but consistent level of cooperation with investigators. On July 12th, he even voluntarily submitted a DNA sample after a secret meeting with the case's lead detectives. The longer Chandra Levy was missing, the weirder the theories about the case got. Famed horse whisperer Monty Roberts even got involved, telling Vanity Fair writer Dominic Dunn that he'd met a Middle Eastern man on an airplane with information on Chandra Levy. In that version of the story, Levy was drugged and kidnapped via private jet to be sold into sexual slavery in the Middle East. With no other leads panning out, the FBI had no choice but to investigate such tips. They spent weeks looking into private jet departures from Washington, D.C. in May. They found nothing incriminating. The weirder the theories got, the worse things got for Condit. In another twist of the knife, his own former aide, Dennis Cardoza, announced he would challenge Condit in the upcoming primary, which would be held on March 2, 2002. Cardoza, a fellow conservative Democrat, was nearly a carbon copy of Condit, but without the taint of scandal. Condit's displeased constituents embraced Cardoza immediately. That voluntary DNA sample would come back to haunt Condit too. In the fall of 2001, investigators matched it to a sample of semen found on panties from Chandra's apartment. If they'd had any doubts about if the affair was real, those were now silenced. Investigators focused more and more on Gary Condit. They didn't really think he had a motive to kill Chandra. All of his other affair partners seemed to be alive and well. But they didn't have any better ideas either. Spotlighting Condit made investigators miss something mundane. Something that felt too much like everyday D.C. crime to be connected to this huge case. Other women were being attacked in Rock Creek Park. It wasn't the first time. The secluded park had been the site of numerous assaults. But these dates were suspiciously close to Chandra's disappearance. The attacker was an undocumented immigrant from El Salvador, Ingmar Guandique. And he got caught. In July, he was sent to prison for assaulting two other women, both of whom survived. But police still weren't sure that Chandra had ever been in Rock Creek Park. They'd repeatedly searched, but without turning up evidence. So they weren't paying much attention to other crimes committed in the park. No body, no official suspects, and the FBI was chasing down leads from horse whisperers. The investigators on the Levy case were privately beginning to think it would never be solved. By fall, the FBI transferred the investigation to their cold case squad. While moving it meant they had no major leads, the FBI did hope it would ultimately help solve the case. Some of the Bureau's best investigators work on the coldest cases. Still, there was no movement except in Gary Condit's political career, which was crashing and burning. Party insiders privately suggested that he withdraw from his re-election campaign, but Condit refused. Chandra Levy remained the biggest story in America until September 11, 2001, the biggest domestic terror attack in U.S. history. 
The Levies understood why the media had to move away from covering Chandra after September 11th, but they were still heartbroken and desperate to find their daughter, whether alive or dead. The FBI and the D.C. Metropolitan Police kept investigating, now through their respective cold case divisions. And as the spring ticked on, Dennis Cardoza ran away with the March 2002 primary. It was hard not to, granted all he had to ask voters was, would you rather have me or the guy with all the same policies who cheats on his wife and might have killed a 24-year-old intern? Voters answered decisively. Gary Condit's political career was over. The same month, he was subpoenaed to testify before a grand jury that would convene in April to go over the case. It's hard to feel sorry for an alleged serial adulterer with a taste for young girls. But as far as murder, most investigators now think Condit got a raw deal. There was never really any evidence he killed Chandra, and while prosecutors were subpoenaing him to testify, they were ignoring Ingmar Guandique. In September of 2001, a jailhouse informant had come forward to say Guandique, the man in jail for attacking women in Rock Creek Park, had confessed to killing Chandra Levy. But the informant failed a polygraph, and fake tips on high-profile cases are common in prisons. Out of duty, the FBI followed it up. They gave Guandique a lie detector test, which was inconclusive possibly in part because it was done using a translator, which may have skewed the results. In April, the grand jury met, but did nothing to push forward the case. It seemed truly dead, just like Condit's political career. By now, he was preparing to leave his congressional office at the end of his term. He started speaking to lawyers about suing the tabloids for libel. Then... On May 22, 2002, Chandra was found. After multiple official searches involving dogs, horses, dozens of cops, and an entire class of new FBI recruits, a civilian named Philip Palmer found her body. He was looking for animal bones for his collection, a strange hobby that nonetheless took him off the beaten paths of Rock Creek Park. He was climbing down a steep embankment when he came across a human skull. Palmer immediately called the police. Within hours, the scene was swarmed. Next to the skull was a weather-worn USC sweatshirt. Every cop in D.C. knew by now that Chandra Levy had been at USC. The investigators at the scene were sure it was her. They just needed the DNA tests to confirm it. Her grieving parents, too, had little doubt. Within hours, the Levies learned that Chandra's Walkman music player was found at the scene, and her tennis shoes. Her black sweatpants were knotted at the bottom, maybe by someone dragging her body or as a means of restraint. The one thing that wasn't found in Rock Creek Park? Anything that would help explain who killed her. If the body had been found after a week or a month, it might have had traces of the killer's DNA left over. But after a year, only badly degraded bones and cloth remained. A medical examiner couldn't even determine the cause of death. She might have been strangled, 
but he couldn't be sure. This uncertainty would linger for years. Chandra's case got passed back and forth repeatedly as old cops retired and new ones joined the cold case squad. Meanwhile, Gary Condit went home to California a ruined man. He sued a group of tabloids seeking more than $200 million in damages. After bouncing around the courts for several years, one suit was eventually settled out of court and a second suit was dismissed. Then, in 2007, another set of new detectives took over the Chandra Levy case. Unlike previous investigators, they didn't overlook Ingmar Guandique, who was still in prison for the other Rock Creek Park assaults. In fact, they made him their primary suspect. This was driven in part by a Washington Post investigation that revealed to the public for the first time that Guandique was a suspect. And the Post also told the world he hadn't gone to work on the day of the murder. Not only that, Guandique's landlady remembered seeing him with a scratched, bruised face around that time. Newspapers can report any evidence they consider relevant, but prosecuting a murderer is a different story. If they wanted to put Guandique behind bars for Chandra's murder, detectives were going to need a lot more than a day off work and a landlady's fading recollection of some bruises. Their best hope was the suspect's former cellmate, Armando Morales. He still maintained that Guandique had confessed. Morales' story hadn't changed a bit since he first told it in September of 2001, which made him seem more trustworthy than before. In 2009, Guandique was formally charged with killing Chandra Levy. His lawyers mounted a spirited defense that focused on shifting blame to Condit. But the jury believed Armando Morales' testimony. In 2010, Ingmar Guandique was convicted and sentenced to 60 years. But in a case so fraught with twists, of course, that wasn't the end. Guandique appealed, and in 2015, he won a new trial. Meanwhile, a secret recording of Morales emerged. On the tape, he bragged about gang wars, making hand grenades, ambushing a thief, quote, in a thug way, and using shanks against fellow inmates. Prosecutors couldn't put Morales on the stand again. Not when the defense would just play the tape. He would look like a vicious career criminal throwing his cellmate under the bus to get out of jail early. Reluctantly, the government declined to try Guandique a second time. Instead, they scheduled him for release from prison and for a deportation back to El Salvador. In May of 2017, more than 16 years after Chandra's murder, Guandique was removed from the United States. His current whereabouts are unknown. As for Gary Condit, in 2016, he released his true crime thriller with the help of co-author Breton Peace, denying the affair with Chandra entirely. This book is mostly angry rants against police and the FBI, who he claims maliciously targeted him while ignoring the real killer. It's an appealing conspiracy theory but it's Condit's word against the coalition of journalists, police, the Levy family, and the other women who claim to have been his mistresses. 
As for who killed Chandra Levy, the case is still considered unsolved. Many people believe Guandique was the right man, but Guandique proclaimed up until the day of his deportation that he'd never even met Chandra. Maybe someday a new piece of evidence will emerge that gives this story a more definitive ending. But with every year that passes, it's getting less and less likely that Chandra will ever get justice. The only thing we know for sure is that whatever happened to Chandra, it probably didn't involve a horse whisperer, a jealous spy, or a private jet whisking her away to the Middle East. But when have we Americans ever let the truth get in the way of a good conspiracy theory? Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with scandal number 30, Credit Mobilier, the ever-corrupt Grant administration's biggest corruption scandal yet. Among the many sources we used in researching this story, we found the book Finding Chandra by Scott Hyam and Sari Horwitz especially helpful. We also recommend the Washington Post special report, Who Killed Chandra Levy, which is available free on the Post's website. You can find all episodes of Political Scandals and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Political Scandals on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Political Scandals in the search bar. We'll see you next time. Political Scandals was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Stephen Davies, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Political Scandals was written by Yelena War, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher and stars Richard Rossner and Kate Leonard. <laughs>